back once again. It's the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. It's Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Lakers Fast Break, Inside Sports Fantasy Football and Game Source. Thank you so much for listening to all of our great podcasts. And I'll tell you what, if you get a chance, please give us that five 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 star review on not only our podcast or whichever podcast that you listen to when it comes to all the stuff that we do here, but also the great podcast from the fellow host that is now coming on the air with me, my great guest as always, you got to check out his show, Viceland, V-I-S, not V-I-C, because you're going to take you in a completely different direction, <laughs> V-I-S-E-L-A-N-D, the Viceland podcast, including their latest effort, which is on the top 10 Canadians right now in the NBA and you know that he and his brother are always going to have something to say on that. It is Michael Weisenberg. And Mike, thanks so much for your patience and coming back right on the show this week. Thank you so much for having me. We had a great time doing the top 10 Canadian NBA players currently. And twenty out of 22 guys now. And Canada now has the second most players in the NBA out of any country. The real hope is getting to that olympics in 2021 and seeing if uh they can get a team together and get all all the the top players and qualify for the olympics after not qualifying since the year 2000 well you know you and i talked before about where canada stands in the overall pantheon of world basketball and you compared it to uh, – you've compared it favorably to other countries like France, for instance. France was somebody yeah. that has a lot of players also in the NBA. But it, to me, now that there are over 20 players in the, in the, you know, from Canada in the NBA, you can clearly say Canada now has made a firm stamp into the NBA. Oh, absolutely into the NBA. It's just about getting that national team together, getting all those guys in the same place at the same time, possibly cutting NBA players from Team Canada, which is not something that usually was done in the past. And they just haven't been able to do that yet. So the real key is just hoping that some of the guys from our top 10 list can end up playing on that team. Hopefully if they get seven or eight of those guys, you have to feel that they're going to be back in the Olympic picture. And that's something that you definitely want to hope that will happen but also the fact that it's going to be a very tight schedule whenever they decide to pick up next season after what they're going to do for the rest of this season. I won't talk about the rest of the season in a sec, but there is the ongoing, I don't want to say battle, but the ongoing tentative date of December 1st, which the NBA put out there, and the players union is kind of like balking at But the reason why, or one of the major reasons why, is because the NBA wants its players in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. I think that's a clear reason why that takes, you know, they want it sooner rather than later. Because if they push it to Christmas, like I was suggesting, you know, obviously Christmas is the first day a lot of people, a lot of general fans out there start watching the NBA. I have a feeling that that's closer to what they will end up doing. That's going to push it mighty close to that window as far as players wanting to go ahead and play in the Olympics. Yeah. Well, the other thing is them saying they're doing this condensed 82-game schedule, possibly. You have to feel that they're – yeah. Like, and that would just require so many back-to-backs. You still have to kind of figure out the whole fan situation as well, if fans are going to be allowed. Are we – 
Do we want to travel to all these places if there are no fans? Are we going back to Orlando? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back to the single location. So a lot of things to figure out there. It's a really short turnaround. Like when you figure the draft is October 15th, free agency has to be really shortly after that. And then you turn around and have like barely any time to start this new season. So a lot of things to think about. I you, I just always felt like they would have a shortened season, especially if they want to get to the Olympics. And I think that that's something they, they have to think about not playing the full 82 games. If they do a full 82-game season and they do a lot of cadence back-to-back-to-back, four and five nights, I bet you money that you're going to hear all the old players from the back in the day, they're going to be whining and complaining and saying, hey, Back in our day, that was what we did for real. You're going to hear that. You know you're going to hear that. Oh, I absolutely agree. We're going to hear that. I can still roll my eyes at it because that's (laughs) not something. Like, I don't think that was really something that that happened where they had, like, this condensed schedule or anything like that. I don't know. I I, I just feel if you're – the best way to go about something is to understand it rather than judge it. Okay. And I, I feel that, you know, too often do we hear back in our day, you know, things were so much harder and, and everything like that. When in reality, like we look at the players right now and they're freaking incredible. So I don't understand what, what this whole beef about we used to be better back then when the skill set and everything happened with players. Now, granted, they have different circumstances, different coaching. A lot of things have changed, and that, that's something I, I go into when we're judging different generations of player. But, yeah, I, I just have a really hard time listening to the, the back-in-my-day stuff. I'm just going to tell you, if that's the case and they do condense it and you start hearing the current NBA players whining about it, you're going to hear the older NBA players say, you know, come out with the back-in-my-day. I'm just telling you, yeah. it's, 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 you know, yeah. it's pretty much a given. Still can roll my eyes at it. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. But I did want to talk to you about what's coming up in, as far as the rest of this season. The NBA has decided upon a 22-team format, uh, including teams like Phoenix and Washington, who realistically have a long shot, a very much long shot at best chance of actually getting in the way it's structured within this eight-game regular season whatever's left format. And I want to hear your first thoughts about this whole setup. I mean, were you interested maybe in more of a 1-16, to 20-team setup, bringing all the teams there? I mean, I spoke to Rafael Barlow about it from NBA Draft Junkies, and he was more of, you know, if you're going to just go to 22, you might as well bring all 30 there. And I know there's other people as well that think the exact opposite, just bring the minimum amount you can. I want to hear your thoughts on this full 22-team setup, and is it something that you're happy with or if it's something that you think the NBA should have changed? Well, let's be clear. I am happy that they're bringing back basketball at all. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, whatever they decided, I I think, you know, I, I was going to grin and bear it anyway. As far as bringing back all 30 teams, like what would the incentive be for the teams that had no, no chance at the playoffs? That was just – my ultimate thinking um and even so like even bringing back 22 teams you're, you're going to undoubtedly see some teams having no chance and 
Like, you know, Washington seems so far behind right now. I, I just don't see how they can get to a plan situation. With Phoenix, the, would have to, not, Phoenix would have to jump over four teams, I think, yeah. or five. Yeah. yeah, and then, like, hope the teams in front of them, like, lose every game, and that's just not going to happen with the way the schedule is uh, set up. So, yeah, I'm just happy that they're doing whatever they're doing with the 22 teams. Uh, I think the, the plan format for potentially for that eight spot or seven, is it seven or eight or is it just eight? Uh, it's uh, just eight. If okay. just, it's just eight. Um, so I think if it's, it's, I said earlier it was two games, but they said, I think realistically it's four games. So if they're within four games, yeah, I don't know how that, that, you know, it's supposed to work as far as let's say the ninth place team is within four games. They get to go into a two game play in, Oh, where the eighth seed just has to win one of those two games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The team that is behind the eight seed has to um, win two, and then the eight seed has to win one. Yeah, uh, kind of like a, a Mighty Ducks D two situation is uh, the way I've been putting it, where it was a, a double elimination tournament. But I think I, I don't know. I'm, I'm intrigued by what's going to happen there, and I. You know, it, it's a little excitement. And if, if there was room for experimentation, you might as well make it this year where they have this unprecedented scenario. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with the, the way it's set up. I, I was interested, as you and I were talking about, I was interested in the 1 through 16 format. But I, I think uh, just keeping the conferences, are, have they still talked about how many games, like are they still making it a seven-game series? Like, I, Yeah, I that, that's, that's a given. What they were going for so yeah to me it seems whoever wins this is the legitimate champion in the nba it's too bad that they're not bringing back every team but i understand why they're not and i think uh even bringing back like the the extra teams that have very little chance it's a little strange to me but i i I am happy to see any extra games of some of these players possible so I, I, I'm happy with them bringing back 22 teams and um, having that play-in tournament for the last seed in the playoffs and then seeing how the playoffs go. Well, see, the thing is that the reason why ultimately is money when it comes down to it because Absolutely. the teams that you are bringing back and the games that they'll play will make up about $350 million of the $650 million. This is approximate numbers off the top of my head that they were going to be losing. They were going to lose about $650 million in television revenue had they just not done anything. Mm-hmm. So they're going to make up about $350 million, about a little over half, basically, by doing what they're doing now. Uh, they're still obviously going to be short the games that those 22 teams would have played, and then also the teams, eight teams that are out with the games that they would have played entirely. But still, that makes up uh, for uh, quite a bit of it. And so I understand why that they want those teams like Washington and Phoenix to still be a part of this, even though by day one, they could be both be eliminated, you know, realistically uh, if they just lose once. So that's still something that they wanted to go ahead and do. And I understand the reason why Raphael uh, was going for 30 teams, because you're going to have teams that like, let's say golden state that haven't played for nine months by the time the new season rolls around. And I know some of the younger teams that are not on this list, like Atlanta or Charlotte or whatnot, they wanted to go ahead and just get some reps 
for their younger players. And that's probably the reason why that they wanted to go ahead and do it. You know, obviously the money works out as well as far as them paying back the local regional sports networks and all that. But yeah, that was his reasoning behind us for anybody who wants the 30 teams in there. That's even if they're a bad team, that's the reason why that even the Knicks per se, their young team, their young core to get them another, what, 10 games, 12 games would have been at the max. They would have been able to at least get those kind of reps. Even if it's just another eight games, it would have been another eight games under their belt. And it just because you have that, that disadvantage of not playing for several months in an NBA formatted game. Yeah, I, I get it. But at the same time, having to go through training camp to play those final eight games, you have to wonder how hard some of these teams are, would, would go once they're eliminated as well. Who and, would have been there? Like, would Curry have played? I, you have to doubt it. <laughs> like, why why risk it at this point with, with some of your best players? Yeah, like, I, I feel like some of these teams might get to the point where they're just not trying to risk injury. And, yeah, it, it like, you know, I know if Portland's eliminated, like, is Damian Lillard going to keep playing? Like, I, I you, you just kind of doubt it. And I, I'm sure whatever they're doing, like, I, I heard about the possibility of the eight teams that were eliminated, like, starting their own little league or, or doing something like that just to kind of get their guys uh, a few more reps. I'm sure that they're working out and they're doing things in the meantime as well. Like, you know, they're able to go back to their practice facilities. It's not an NBA game, but at the same time, these guys are getting better. They're training. And um, then you have to wonder, I don't know, it's such a short turnaround, but is there going to be like a fall league or anything like that? Um, so, yeah, I, I think there are other possibilities of, of getting these guys at least uh, uh, some more training but, yeah, it's just in this condensed format, it, it seems like y you wonder just how valuable it would have been. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure as well. It just, like I said, I know some of the players are, are complaining about it, but, you yeah. know, you don't hear much from Curry or Thompson or Draymond Green oh, about this time. Yeah, about well, that. Well, yeah, there would have been no reason for Clay to come back. Yeah, that's yeah. true. We're signaling the ref for a quick timeout, but we'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. I see the potential for basically like another Netflix kind of paradigm shift where here comes this other major player. They have a ton of resources. Apple could change the way that entertainment is consumed. They say it's the only time this year that you'll have stars from each brand battling each other. And we know it's not going to be the case, but they like to say that and more power to them, I guess. Well, it's a big first step bringing all those superheroes together. There were definitely some parts of the movie that I, that I really enjoyed. And then there were some parts that I thought just kind of fell short of expectation. Part of it has to be something to do with how it's being promoted. And this is a thing where audiences do not agree with critics. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse, every week on Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm still on with Michael Weisenberg from Viceland, the podcast which you need to go ahead and check out today on every major podcast app. 
Also, as well, you got to check out his work on the Stepien and Perspective Insight. You got to go ahead and check out what he's doing there and just done some great stuff with those two outlets as well. He's a busy man, so I was able to go ahead and be fortunate enough to track him down once again about all the stuff that he's doing. But a lot of what he's doing always centers around the NBA draft. And recently, yours truly put out a mock draft uh, or something that resembles a mock draft anyways. Uh, you know, just something. It was a mock there. draft. It was a mock draft. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you can call it a mock draft. Yeah. I'm sort of, I'm sort of self-deprecating in that as far as, you know, <laughs> just uh, go ahead and try and diminish. I've already received a few comments on it as, already. So why do you have this guy here? I was like, welcome to, uh, Rafael was say, pretty much saying, that's, welcome that's to my draft. world. <laughs> yeah, that's a mock draft. That's a mock draft. Uh, so, you know, the reason why I want to talk to you about it is because, yes, obviously there's some things, differences that we see right now. Mind you, like yourself, it's still a long ways to go. So because the actual draft is October and the actual lottery is in August, so we still have a long way to decide exactly who we think fits where in our mock drafts. So I'm just throwing out my first version. I know you've got some early returns as well. In fact, you did one with some others on Rookie Wire that was way back when, you know, when there was a lot of differing opinions there on a lot of the players. So you've seen it change and evolve from point A to where we are now. So I guess I'll go into, uh, you know, the specifics. I mean, is there anything that you saw you, know, you really want to talk about when you took a look at my mock, mock draft, which you can hear now on the Lakers Fast Break channel, or you can check it out at popculturecosmos.com. The major differential, of course, like the start of the season, you're just kind of predicting a lot of how freshmen are going to be doing. And then, just some of the things you see, like the guy who was the unanimous number one of uh, the rookie wire mock draft was Cole Anthony. Yeah. Now Cole Anthony, when he was in high school, he seemed like the alpha dog among that class. He had a really great hoop summit game where he was making tons of tough pull-up shots, able to create his own shot. Like just, you, you saw the offensive ability. He led the EYBL in scoring his uh, final year there had a great like few years in the EYBL, which is usually a, a really good sign for future prospects. The major thing in college was, and some say that this is due to his team, he had a really tough time finishing around the basket, which I don't think that necessarily had shown at the other levels, but he had a tough time getting by guys, a tough time finishing there, really poor percentages around the hoop. I saw that. And then, um, yeah, and then just as far as his efficiency, it wasn't what you really thought it was going to be. He got hurt. And, yeah, he, he's not the most, like, physically impressive player as well. He, he's good with the running start, but he doesn't have, like, tons of vertical ability just uh, off of one foot. And th that that was kind of where it came about. There, there, were, there were legitimate concerns even going into his year. But are, are going into North Carolina, and North Carolina has some people kind of evaluating him. And like most players in this draft, as I think your your mock draft uh, shows, there's like a huge range because you you look at a, a couple mock drafts this year, and guys are really all over the place. That, that's always going to happen, but I, I think even more so this year, there are just so many unknown variables with these prospects. He was very high at the beginning of the year for me, too. I mean, 
obviously, you know, being the son of Greg Anthony, that right there yeah. starts off as, you know, putting you more into a better light or a more uh, easier uh, frame of mind as far as people viewing him. And then I see what he was doing at the high school level, and I was very impressed by it. And I read all the pub at that point in time, saw the rivals, saw saw all the charts, saw where he was standing, you know, his standing. And like you said, uh, you know, just a bad year for him. Just a bad, well, not yeah. a bad year, but bad few months. It was bad tough. team. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, bad team. There was, was just yeah. abysmal. Yeah. In- injuries. But you're right. I see some deficiencies. His drive to the basket, it very, very inefficient at this time. Reminds me a lot of the inefficiencies that we see with Lonzo Ball still, even to this day, mm-hmm. driving to the basket, where he's almost petrified. Uh, I remember, you know, with the Lakers and now with the Pelicans, that is still his Achilles, one of his Achilles heels outside of his free throw shooting. But yeah, you see with Cole Anthony, that could be an issue, but he's got a lot of things that he, that can contribute to the NBA. It's just that, do you want him as your playmaker? Do you want yeah. him leading your offense? If that's the case, I'm not sure that's going to happen. But if you want somebody from the point guard position that can get you buckets and play a secondary playmaking position, like let's say on the Lakers. I'm not, I'm not just saying go on the Lakers, for example, but yeah. you've got LeBron there as your primary playmaker. But if there's a Cole Anthony type on the floor as a second playmaker who can still make a play but is more geared towards making buckets, that might not end up being a bad thing for his place in the league. That would be wonderful. And I think, honestly, going down in the draft maybe a little bit could end. Like, you know, let's take Boston where you you have him going or going to Washington, playing with Bradley Beal or possibly even like, you know, John Wall in certain situations, maybe coming off the bench. I, I think there there are lots of good things to like about Cole Anthony. He, he has that ability in isolation and can create for himself, is a good shooter off of the dribble, which is something that's really tough to find. But you're absolutely right. Like the, the thing with, uh, that he has over Lonzo Ball is the pull-up game. The thing that Lonzo Ball has over him is the passing and decision-making. Yeah. And where you, you want the ball in, in Lonzo's hands, you're not so sure about Cole Anthony making plays for others. And, uh, you know, his assist-to-turnover ratio this year was, like, right around one-to-one. And uh, those are legitimate concerns. So you can see Cole Anthony as an NBA scorer. You're just not sure if he's just a volume guy over being an efficiency guy, which is what he he looked like, at least, in uh, the EYBL. Absolutely, and that's that's the problem, again, from – when you're on a bad team, I mean, is it the team or is it you? And it just you really have to go ahead and evaluate from there. Uh, but he is someone, you know, if at the end of a shot clock or at the end of the game, he doesn't seem to be afraid to take that shot, which is, a, you know, that type of point guard that you want to have at certain points in the game. But, yes, as a secondary playmaker, he's, he, I think he could thrive. If you want him as your primary, I think your team is going to need some help. Yeah, and you want him, like, next to LeBron or Ben Simmons, like a jumbo initiator, like Luka Doncic, for instance. Like, yeah. that, that would be a really good fit for him. One of the names I also point out that you and I talked to about, and I think you really turned me on to this individual, is Alexei Pokashevsky. Yes. I have him higher than a lot of other people. Yeah. Because I see a lot of potential there. 
And this is someone sure. I really wanted to talk to specifically you about because you had first, like I said, turned me on to him as far as being a player that can make an, uh, an impact in this league. Uh, I know when you people first see him, again, I said it on the, the mock draft on the audio. I don't know if you ever watched Captain America, the first Avenger, and you hear where the senator is talking about uh, Steve Rogers going into the machine and he sees them all scrawny and whatnot. Says, yeah, Man, yeah. he needs a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Alexi <laughs> I've used that to describe players before, and that's, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, he needs a sandwich. I mean, to, as I said on my mock draft, you know, to say he's paper thin is doing the paper injustice. Yeah. So he is razor thin and and obviously that's the area he needs to address but man does he have a ton of skills he is probably to me outside the point guard position the best passer in this year's draft yeah great passer and then his ability to handle the ball at his size as well and yeah, um, he could shoot yeah for sure and not only can he shoot he can shoot off of movement as well and you know that's just the the agility at his size is something that's really rare Plus, he has a feel for the game, and yes. you know he he knows where to be on uh, both ends of the court. It's just the strength is such a huge thing with him, and it, it could possibly be a reason that it, it takes him a while to be an effective NBA player, and could possibly limit his upside. He hasn't necessarily been like the most efficient player at at um, the tournaments he's been in, but there are just so many skills that just really pop off the screen. And when you're looking for an upside guy in this draft, he has to be right up there. And I, I like where you have him, like, uh, going to Portland, who's in need of a, a forward. You usually see a guy his size now, they would just slot him in at center. But he, he's a guy who I think legitimately has that agility and, you know, uh, lateral quickness, all those things to eventually be maybe like a, a jumbo four. And just needing the weight and strength go along with that <laughs> and and that's something i wanted to ask you on is it's just that you know is that a fair place to put him because i think right now a team that can win can give him time to gain that strength but could still utilize his talents once he does gain that strength is portland i think they should take a long look at him if that's where they end up being in the draft yeah i, I agree are there any other names that stick out to you on either my list or the list that you made with uh, with everyone else on Rookie Wire? Because, I mean, again, when people look at that Rookie Wire article that posted, that has to be in retrospective as far as being in August. And there's so many things that have changed since then. One of the things I did want to ask you was the consensus opinion that you guys there at Rookie Wire did was on Theo Maladone. Yeah. was uh, somebody that I'm not as high on. I put him right around 19 for the for the Malky books because I still, still think there's a lot to develop there. What are your thoughts on Theo Melodon and where he stands now in his development? Yeah, I, I think people just kind of thought that he would maybe take more of a step in terms of being a playmaker, in terms of just his volume shooting in general. He seems to be kind of crafty finishing around the basket, but he's not necessarily like the most bursty guy. And I, I think the, the consensus like around that time was he was going to take more of a step than he actually did. And yeah, like it seemed like of he and, and take Killian Hayes, who has risen like 
vastly up draft boards since then, or, though some people were already quite high on him as well. He, he's really taken that next step. And he, he was already like a better playmaker than Maladon. Maladon just seemed to have a higher ceiling as a shooter, but it seems like Hayes always has that high free throw percentage and people see the potential there that they don't necessarily see with Maladon. And yeah, just Hayes' feel for the game seems to be vastly superior. And that, I think that's the reason we see Hayes up near where Maladon was originally on uh, the mock draft. I think I had him a little lower, but I did have him too high at the time. I think he's at number five or number six for me. He's pretty high up there. I seen him as I as number one. Uh, he's number five for me. Um, I think that's probably a place where I, I think he might land because I don't think NBA GMs have him as a number one pick, even though some of the draft experts out there are thinking that he really can go that high up or that he should be deserving of that. Yeah. Well, and let's also differentiate between a mock draft and a big board. Yeah. Because the mock draft to me is predicting where guys are going to go. Whereas the big board is where you actually have them ranked. Exactly. So I, I think that's the usual differentiation. When I used to work at NBA draft.net, they were constantly judge the mock drafts early in the season when it, it was in very small print written on the site that it was pretty much a big board at that point until the lottery happened and yeah. then you could judge away but yeah they they do that judged harshly but honestly nobody has absolute knowledge of where these guys are going we're just trying to get in the head of a general manager and say i think this guy may be going here huge ranges on this year's class as well Absolutely, and that's one thing that has to be noted that I don't think I've seen a year in quite some time where it's this all over the place yeah. uh, with all these draft choices, with all these prospects. And that's what I'm trying to do as far as within, and, and I know that's what you try to do with your mock drafts, is that you try to evaluate, okay, I think that even though he may not be my best player, I think X team is going to pick X player. Uh, because yeah. it fits their style or it fits their drafting history or it fits their parameters, what they usually like as a player. So I'm evaluating them as far as selecting this player, as opposed to maybe it, him being higher or lower on your overall draft board and all that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I have a big board that is definitely differentiated from my mock draft. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know everybody else does as well. And that's, that's something people have to keep in perspective when they're looking at these mock drafts. Do I actually think that Killian Hayes is the fifth best player? I think he's actually a little little higher on my list. I think he probably may moves up a slot or two. But, again, it's where the needs are and where he falls into place for each of these teams. Yeah. So uh, that's something people have to, again, keep in perspective. But some very interesting stuff, my friend. Uh, is there anything that sticks out? Because I've got one more for you if, if you don't have one that hits you. I, I was a little surprised Tyrese Maxey was as low uh, on your board as, as he was. Uh, was that the one you were going for? Or? The consensus rookie wire number 30 at that point for you guys, Kira Lewis oh. Jr. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But Tyrese Maxey is someone you, – you're, the, you're the third person to say that for Tyrese Maxey. I, I have to see more. I'm just not in love with his shot at this point in time. I think that's for me what it comes down to it. His defense is outstanding. It just comes to his shot. I just think his shot is 
I don't when I look at his stroke and I compare it to other strokes that are right around that point where okay, he's a good free throw shooter, but he sucks right now from the outside. But I see the stroke and it looks like something could be fixed. I don't see that yet with Tyrese Maxey. I see a lot of work that has to be done with his shot in order to go ahead and get it to a competent level at an NBA level. I was surprised he shot as poorly as he did at Kentucky. Um, I, I think there was huge variance in some of the games that he played. Like he seemed to play a lot better against better teams, which is a good sign. But then when you're not uh, taking advantage of the, the other teams, people are like, what's up with that? Um, I remember in EYBL, I liked his shot. I, I thought he had a lot of potential there. I, I don't think it's necessarily going to be like this glaring weakness. He doesn't necessarily have the most burst or athleticism, but he has great body control, which is always something that I really liked about him. He just seems to know how to score. He has a really low turnover guy. He's not necessarily like the greatest playmaker, but he doesn't turn it over at a high rate. And uh, I think uh, just everything I've heard about him attitude-wise as well, he's a guy that I'm willing to bet on. Um, especially compared to some of the other players in this draft. As far as Kira Lewis uh, having him at 30, I'm thinking that probably not a lot of people had him ranked at that point. So I was pretty happy with the fact that I even had him on the mock draft at all. Um, obviously, he's moved up quite a bit since then, and he's one of the, the hot prospects right now. He was just a really young for class, obviously, and decided to go to Alabama early. Had a good freshman year and then had a, a even better sophomore season. And he has a lot of potential just in terms of quickness, ability to pass on the move. And I, there's, I, I think, certainly some shooting potential as well. So, yeah, really fast with the ball. And uh, I know a, a player that uh, quite a few people are high on right now. And I, I think close to that uh, late lottery range at this point. Yeah, I believe you. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you on that. That's where I put him um, right in that range. Uh, I think he reminds me a lot of De'Aaron Fox. Uh, not at that, not quite there yet, uh, but he can fill the stat sheet as well, and he can yeah. fill it in a positive way. So I, I really think those are attributes that he, that he has. Now, will it translate into a uh, starting point guard in the league? That that I'm not so sure as of yet. I mean, but if he keeps improving from the way he's improved at Alabama, from what I've seen on the video, uh, I think he can get to that point where he can become a pretty good point guard in the league. So one thing I wanted to ask you on Tyrese Maxey is just because I know understand, again, I think a lot of people are putting him higher right now than I am. I thought the gap between him and Emmanuel Quickly was a lot closer. I know Emmanuel Quickly is thought of as, what, uh, a second round uh, in that, uh, what, 35 to 50 range. Yeah. I think that gap is a little bit closer, which is probably, probably to me, my evaluation was probably the reason why I had uh, him lower. But, again, when it comes to Tyrese Maxey, I'm going to probably take a second and a third look and fourth look, and we'll go from there. But when you're evaluating these players and you see a lot of them, especially in this year's draft, that – need a lot of help from the outside you know and you're going to say to yourself this player i think can really develop his jump shot but i don't think this player can what do you look for you know when you're you're evaluating because well i look for where the hands are 
where the where the stroke is. Does he follow through? What are his legs looking like as far I, uh, positioning the whole nine yeah. yards with me when I look at the stroke? To in order to determine whether he's not whether he's got good habits or he's got bad habits that will consistently plague him throughout the league. Yeah, well, I, I think body control and just the t- entire shot process is something that you have to look at as well. But in terms of w- when you're talking about free throw percentage and, and things like that, like remember, Magic Johnson had a tremendous free throw percentage when he was in the NBA. wasn't known as a jump shooter. A lot of it is just taking the attempts. So if you have like a high volume and you have the free throw percentage and, and you're willing to, to work on it, I think those, those are some major factors as well. Like even like taking like long twos or things along those lines. Of course you want to see a good percentage, but just if the, the one thing that the free throw percentage seems to point to is usually just having that touch. And so if you have the, the solid free throw percentage, you are willing to shoot, then that's something that you'd more want to bank on than somebody that has a solid free throw percentage that isn't willing to shoot at all. And then in terms of the difference between maxi and, and quickly, I, I think ball handling is kind of like a, a big thing there. Because quickly definitely has the, the better shooting indicators, but is he going to be able to create his own shot at the rate that a guy like Tyrese Maxey is? And then the the other thing is age. And I like I think that they were pretty close, but I, quickly is a year older as well. Yeah. Didn't have the better freshman season between the two. And then when you look at them this year, like quickly ended up being kind of the, known as the guy on Kentucky this year. But Maxey was like right there. So I, I think it's really close, but you, you lean towards Maxey just because of – some of the skill set beyond just uh, being able to be a, a spot up shooter. Uh, that's that's something. That's the re- one of the reasons why I still kept Emmanuel quickly out of the first round is because he is limited in what he's going to give you. I mean, if yeah. you find that role for him, he's going to be great as far, especially as a spot up shooter. Things of that nature, really good off the catch and shoot. Uh, but then again, like I said, that's it's limited to what your expectations are of him. So it's limited on where he can go in the draft. And uh, I understand once you get past the top 15, it is going to be like that. It's like, where does this guy, you know, where his, does his talents fit? And Raphael was really getting me into that as far as, you know, most of these guys after pick 15 are specialists. And you're going to go have to have, and say to yourself, you know what? my team needs a specialist in this and my needs, team needs a specialist in that. And that's how I'm going to go ahead and draft from there. Yeah. I, I think that certainly goes into it. And yeah, you need to have at least some skills that stand out. So they know where to play you on the floor. It, if you're just kind of good at, at a little bit of everything that doesn't necessarily get like make you stand out. And then you wonder whether all those things will translate to the, to the league. So you look for the players that maybe stand out in like one certain area or are special in that. And then if they stand out in a few areas, that really raises their stock. That's true. That's true. We'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Needing an edge for your fantasy football team? Listen to the guys at Inside Sports Fantasy Football for insight that will help you reach your league championship. 
That's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Check it out today on your favorite podcast outlet. Well, my friend, before we head on out and before we give you a good chance to get everybody updated on what's going on with you with the Step In or Perspective Insight, which I know you recently did some work for that you were promoting, and then also mm-hmm. Viceland, the podcast with your brother, I want to go ahead and talk just a couple minutes about Cade Cunningham and what you think his future might be. And just to fill in everybody, I think I touched on it with Raphael on last week's show, but wanted to go ahead and say, again, Oklahoma State – They got the slap in that big FBI investigation thing where there's a lot of coaches out there that are either fired or in quite a bit of legal trouble as far as some no-nos that they did with leak. I know that, right? That's what a shock that happened. How could that have happened? You know, and I know there's going to be a lot of other schools that are going to be getting the same thing, but Oklahoma state recently got a one year tournament ban. Yeah. Yeah. As far as it's concerned. Yeah. Yeah. So they, so they don't get to go to the tournament this year, which means this is the year that, that they were going to have Kate Cunningham. I don't know if they're still going to have Kate Cunningham. If I was Kate Cunningham, I would probably say no. But Kate Cunningham is considered by many either the number one or number two prospect going into next year's draft. So I want to hear your thoughts on what Kate Cunningham's or what you're hearing maybe on Kate Cunningham or where do you think he might end up as far as either at another school overseas or possibly even the G league destination. It seems like first off, I think Kate is the number one player in either this year's draft or next year's draft. Like even the year after his draft, he uh, is a really special player. He's like six foot six or six foot seven with a seven foot wingspan, but he legitimately, most people, that size they say have, have point guard skills. He's like legitimately a point guard. He's an excellent passer, a really good defender, can finish around the hoop, has shown flashes as a shooter as well. So he's pretty special. And I know there were, were some rumblings. It, it didn't seem like it was ever coming to fruition, but he's born September 25th, 2001, yeah. which means that if he had reclassified to the 2019 high school class, he would have been eligible for the draft this year. So that that's just, I, I feel kind of unfortunate with all this Oklahoma State news. Their uh, former assistant, Lamont Evans, got in some hot water with the NCAA. And of course, the NCAA does the rational thing, which is um, giving a postseason ban to a school that just got the number one player in the entire nation. Um, Talk about shooting yourself in the, in your own foot, right? Yeah, God. Well, and then the, the other thing is he, he's not even there anymore. Like, wh- I don't understand why they are punishing players who are currently there who had nothing to do with this. It's just another NCAA specialty at this point. But, yeah, it, it seems like Kane is definitely looking at his options. It seems like the Oklahoma State coaching staff are looking at their options. His Including brother, his brother. Yeah. His brother Cannon is an assistant coach there was an assistant coach at SMU before that. But even even so, like I I one thing I, I think is a possibility is him just staying at Oklahoma State. They are appealing the ruling so that I think they have until like June twentieth to do something about that. So we'll see what happens there. If the NCAA changes their mind, they might not, and they usually don't. But uh yeah, exactly. So I, I think a, 
as far as his options go, the G League is, is one option. Going to another school, I think, is another option. I, I wouldn't think – I don't think he's been to campus yet. I don't think it should be, like, the end of the world as far as getting him out of his NLI or his um, whatever agreement he had with Oklahoma State. Well, remember, he was offered the same G League contract that Jalen was. Yeah, as he should be. Yeah, the $500,000, and the, you know you get to go ahead and have your own endorsements, the whole yada, 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 and all that other stuff. And I wonder if that deal is still good. Oh, I absolutely. You have to feel that they're going after Cade right now. But he had a – his finalists were Kentucky, North Carolina, Florida, and Washington. I thought USC, too. I, I don't believe so. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm sure he, he's looking at, at many different places right now. Kentucky, I know, I, I'm pretty sure, has an open scholarship. I know Amazing. That, yeah. I, I know that it, it, it is amazing considering the amount of players they brought in already. Like from, That's true. Yeah. So um, I know Oregon does as well. I, I don't know if he's interested, but – I, I know as an Oregon fan would be very interested in having him. Um, but yeah, you have to think that he's, he's looking at some of these other schools. I know Corey Evans from rivals.com has been saying that the university option seems to still be a real option. And when asked um, an article by Ben Roberts from uh, Lexington Herald leader uh, asked Corey about it. And if he chose Oklahoma state versus the field and he chose the field, so I, I think certainly it seems like Cade's looking at his other options. And for fans of uh, Oklahoma State, you're certainly hoping that the appeal goes somewhere. Um, also, two guys I'll throw out as uh, first picks in the draft who went to schools that had no real postseason shot anyway, uh, Ben Simmons. And Markel Fultz, that was two years in a row. <laughs> Markel Fultz's team, I believe, at Washington won six games. Was it so, four or six? I thought. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was somewhere along those lines. So it was, yeah, a rough year for Fultz. Still ended up going first in the draft. But of course, you want that opportunity to play in March, uh, which so, so many players this year were deprived of. So yeah, I just couldn't really believe when I heard about the, the ruling. And my ultimate hope is that Cade goes to a school where he has a chance to either play in the postseason or uh, do something there or goes to the G League, which currently right now they have uh, Dyson Nix, Jalen Green, Isaiah Todd, Kai Soto. It looks like Jonathan Kaminga is probably going to be the next name that goes to the the G League development program. And then if you throw in Cade Cunningham, they have a lot of guys who are, are great on the ball. Fashion and, Bri- other- and Brian Shaw was just named yeah. coach, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's going to be uh, taking on the, the reins there. I, I know LA is supposed to be the place. I, I think it's still kind of up in the air. But yeah, if Cade does go to the G League, it, it would be great. Uh, I know some people are just kind of bummed because they want to see Cade play as many games as possible where he would – the statistical factor with Cade is when, when you're going over like EYBL or he played with uh, the USA U18 team last summer, the guy is just off the charts. Like he's just putting up some massive numbers. And 
Or no, he played. I I think it was U nineteens, and yeah, he he was great. And all of these analytic people are just kind of looking at him and saying he could have this like unreal year of college basketball. And it, it's a huge reason why he's considered the number one prospect in next year's draft. I, I don't think he would have any chance of being in this year's draft, but we can only wonder what if, if he would have reclassified and we would have gotten to see him play this year. And I think he would have been one prospect who we wouldn't have as many questions about as we do all of the other ones in this year's draft. I'll say, my friend, right now, when you're dealing with the NCAA, you're always asking for trouble. I mean, as someone who did go to USC for a cup of coffee and who always still has a place in his heart for the Trojans, who just recently was able to go ahead and start having a relationship again with Reggie Bush after team. Pardon? And they announced OJ Mayo's back in the fold, too. Yeah. So, exactly. So, you, you know. I mean, I, I I hear you when you talk about the NCA and some of the things that they do. And come on, their national champions in two thousand four. Uh, you know, he won the Heisman Trophy, so and you took and you <laughs> took away for for the reasons why you took it away. Or just yeah, again, the NCA does what the NCA does, and I'm not always sure why it does the what it does. But you know what, I've with I'll the NCA, you just again like you, you just expect the NCA to do the wrong thing each and every time. I am absolutely with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we head on out, my friend, and uh, you know, we send it out on an NCA note, I want to go ahead again and thank you so much for being part of the show. But before we head on out, you got to go ahead and give an update to everyone out there on all the great stuff you're doing, either with Perspective Insight, The Step In, your awesome podcast, Viceland, or all of your great projects coming up. Yeah, Viseland just released a new episode. It's Wednesday, June 10th. We released one on the top 10 NBA players of Canadian origin. And we a lot of great players there. We have uh, other episodes that we've released on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. As far as Perspective Insight, we have a lot of great Q&A uh, interviews that we did there. Perspective Insight also has a YouTube channel where they have some uh, really good videos coming out of, of those interviews and just player tape in general. We call it Tale of the Tape. Um, the latest interview we did was with uh, Samson Ruzhensev. Of, uh, he's from Moscow, Russia. Played the last three years at Hamilton Heights Christian Academy in Tennessee. And he's headed to Florida next year. And then as far as the stepping goes, I know guys are releasing tons of great content there some really good scouting reports. And I, I think that's one of the best places to go if you want to get really good NBA draft content. Yeah, just in general, going to be keep making basketball content and always glad to be on Lakers Fast Break. So thanks for having me, Gerald. As always, it's greatly appreciated. And the step in, I do want to give them high marks because among the hours and hours of research I did, for making my volume 1.0 mock draft, the step in I hit many, many times as far as looking to see what they've got to offer. But yes, it's just great to see what everybody's doing out there in concerns of mock draft. Because it's nice to talk about basketball once again, because now we know where we're going when it's it comes to. Horizon. Yeah. I mean, we now NBA have a horizon. Yeah. NBA draft October 15th. Yes. I can't <laughs> wait. And the, uh, the lottery. To me, sometimes yeah. the lottery is better than the draft itself. <laughs> well, this year, 
the lottery I find is is usually better when you have that number one guy who you know about. So like it was the the quest for Zion last year. This year it's the quest for who knows. (laughs) (laughs) There'll be a lot of discussion at the very least. That's true. That's for sure. That's for sure. Well, I'll tell you what, Mike, it's great to have you back on again. Michael Weisenberg, you're welcome back anytime. In fact, I probably will be getting you on back very soon. I cannot thank you enough. I know you're a busy man with all the different stuff. And again, please check out his work today at Perspective Insight, The Step In, and of course, his awesome podcast, Viceland, with an S. Don't go see because that's going to take you, again, somewhere else entirely. You're going to be looking stuff like who's living under the Las Vegas streets or the dark side of the ring and all that stuff. Yeah, you're going to get that stuff you go there if you type in a C. Viceland with an S. That'll take you right there. Or Michael Weisenberg. There you go. Or Michael Weisenberg. Or in fact, you know what? If you have a question for him, at NBA Draft Mikey V, he reposts everything right there for you so you see it all your feed, at NBA Draft Mikey V. And if you have a question for us, it's at Lakers Fast Break. Well, Mike, it's just been great talking to you once again. I look forward to speaking to you real soon right here at the Lakers Fast Break.